0: Good evening, time to get started this evening, begin with number 315, 315, after a couple songs Joe will have our reading prayer, we'll have one more before our lesson tonight, 315,
1: I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days and watch the fleeting changes of life's uneven ways. But if my Savior calls me to that sweet home on high, I'll live with Him forever in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory. By and by, I'll tell and sing love story, there on high, there with my dear Redeemer, no more to die, oh yes, I'll live in glory, by and by. I want to be of service along this pilgrim way and lean and lost to Jesus as fervently I pray as day by day I travel, I'll keep him ever nigh and live with him forever in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory by and by. I'll tell and sing love story there on high. With my dear Redeemer, no more to die. Oh, yes, I live in glory, by and by. The end I know is nearing, by faith I look away To yonder home supernal, the land of endless day I cling to him forever, and look beyond the sky And live with him forever, in glory by and by Oh yes, I live in glory, by and by I'll tell and sing love's story, there on high my dear Redeemer no more to die Oh yes I live in glory by and by Number 319
0: 319
1: I've heard of a land of joy and peace and wonderful light, a beautiful place of mansions fair and skies ever bright, where all who obey the Savior, dear, forever shall stay. And having been saved by grace divine, I'm going that way. I'm going that way. I'm going that way. And Jesus, the Savior, I adore, is with me each day. I'm clinging to him and never to stray. Yes, singing his praises all day long, I'm going that way. The glorious news I tell and sing as onward I go. That those who are still astray in sin, my Savior may know. I want him to sing his praise above some beautiful day. For glory to him who died for me, I'm going that way, I'm going that way, I'm going that way. And Jesus the Savior I adore is with me each day. I'm clinging to him and never distray. Yes, singing his praises all day long, I'm going that way. I know I shall meet him at the gate when trials are past. I know I shall meet him face to face in glory at last. And oh, I believe that when we meet, well done, he will say, For trusting his soul, redeeming love, I'm going that way, I'm going that way, I'm going that way, and Jesus the Savior I adore is with me each day, I'm clinging to him, and never to stray. Yes, singing His praises all day long. I'm going that way. For Joe.
0: No, oh, other Joe. Whole time I was Joe
2: Good evening. Our scripture reading this evening will come from Luke 20, or I'm sorry, Numbers 23 verses 7 through 12. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, have brought me from Abram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed. Or how shall I defy who the Lord hath not defiled? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of righteousness, and let my last end be like this. And Balak said to Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse my enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this day and uh, this opportunity to come into your house at uh, We might study your word i pray that you'll be with chris and uh, as he brings the message this evening and that you would open our hearts father that we might receive your word and apply it to our lives we're thankful for this church father and uh, the leaders that you have put in place here we just pray that uh, you'll be with those leaders and we lift them up that you might bless them We pray for the needs of our sick, Father. uh, We have several. We just pray that uh, you'll meet those needs, Father. And uh, just also ask that uh, you might bless each one here uh, tonight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Song of Invitation this evening is What the Lord has Done in Me. It will be on the screen only before the lesson tonight, number 627. Would you stand, please?
3: 627.
0: You know, that last one was a wee bit high, so. I'm going to drop this one just a wee bit.
1: (laughs) I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. Telling the world that Jesus saved today. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way, heaven is nearer and the way grow with clearer, for I'm in the glory land way. List to the call, the gospel call today, get in the glory land way. O wanderers, come home, O hasten to obey, for I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is nearer and the way groweth clearer, for I'm in the glory land way. When I go rejoicing in his love I'm in the glory land way Soon I shall see him in that home above Oh, I'm in the glory land way I'm in the glory land way I'm in the glory land way the glory land way. Be
0: seated,
3: please. I hope the worship's been uh, pleasing to God and that everything we've said and done has been an honor to Him. Tonight we are continuing our series in uh, Lessons We Can Learn From Animals. Tonight we're talking about the lessons that we can learn from a donkey. So, there are a couple of donkeys in Scripture. Uh, The most familiar to us is probably Balaam's donkey. So grab your Bibles, go to Numbers chapter 22. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. If you have ever been to a VBS, you probably heard Jonah, you probably heard Daniel in the Lion's Den, and you just might have heard the story about the Tonkin donkey. So, it's a pretty famous story. Uh, Like I say, most uh, folks have heard it. But maybe you haven't heard all of it. Um, This is... uh, Some some stories in Scripture are just incredible. And you start walking through them, you start putting together logistically how this worked out. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to try to figure out, like to put myself as a fly on the wall as this scene is going down in history and just kind of critique it, look at it, and see everything that's going on. I want to be able to smell what... What the, what the smells would have been like. Is it light or dark? Is it early or late? I want to know everything I can about that passage. Uh, and this is one of the fun ones to do it with, especially because we know quite a bit about it. This, uh, this little story takes up several chapters in the book of Numbers. We don't know a whole lot about the main character. His name's Balaam. That's how we said it in the South. I guess you would t- technically be Bilam. Uh, But I'm going to say Balaam because I can't stop saying Balaam. I can't say Belam. So tonight we're talking about Balaam and his donkey. Let me set the scene for you. Um, (laughs) So um, I've got a PowerPoint, but it's not going, so that's why I'm stalling. (laughs) But uh, it's in Numbers chapter 22. So grab grab your Bibles and look at Numbers chapter 22. So here's what happens uh, in Numbers 22 there's a guy named Balaam. He is not an Israelite. In fact, his name means not of my people, uh, not of the people. And so he's not an Israelite. He's, he's just some somebody, um, but he happens to be a prophet. God speaks to this guy. Uh, and so, there, he, there it is. Next week, we're talking about the eagle. So go grab your uh, pens and cameras and all those kinds of things and Take pictures or draw, or, and we'll show them up here in the PowerPoint if you've got pictures or drawings of an eagle that you'd like to, uh, for all of us to see. So this story takes place after Jericho. The children of Israel are already into the Promised Land. They're, they're making their way into the Promised Land. And a lot of the kings have already seen the destructive power that Israel is capable of, at least the destructive power that Israel's God is capable of. Uh, You're familiar, of course, when Jericho itself was attacked, the people there had heard about the destructive nature of Yahweh, and so they were afraid, they were terrified. That terror has just been passed down to the next king whose land the Israelites are taking over next. So they show up at someone's doorstep, and that particular king, fear strikes into his heart, and he pulls out all the stops, everything he can do to thwart in some way, in some small way, possibly the Israelite army. He pulls out all the stops in an attempt to do that. So our guy Balak is king of Moab at this point. He sends a contingency of princes, high-powered, well-classed, well-educated, wealthy guys go over to Balaam, and they have an offer for Balaam. Balak, king of Moab, wants you to come curse the Israelite army. They're right at our back door. He knows what their God is capable of. And so he wants you as a prophet of Yahweh. The, the story starts not making a lot of sense in Balak's. If you, if you look at it from Balak's perspective, you got to think, what was he thinking? Because here's a prophet of God, apparently is notorious for power. Uh, else, why would Balak be approaching him in the first place? So Bala- Balaam apparently has done some things. God has done some things through Balaam that have caught Balak's ear, and so he is aware of the power that resides in God through Balaam. And so he sends a contingency of these princes down to Balaam, and they have an offer for him. For them, for him, we'll give you a lot of money if you come curse Israel. Balaam kind of says, "Listen, guys, I can only do what God tells me to do. I can only say what He wants me to say. So I'll go meet with Yahweh, and I'll I'll come back and I'll give you the news." So he goes off. He meets with Yahweh. Yahweh says, "You're not going to go." So Balaam comes back and he says, "Yahweh said I can't come, so go away." And so they go away. They go back to Balak, the king of Moab, who's looking outside of his window and noticing Israel's armies just still there, still a threat. Um, And so he sends another contingency, more powerful princes and more of them and more money. And they go back to Balaam and they say, we've got a better offer for you this time. Here's more money. And Balaam apparently is a greedy guy. At least this money caught his attention because he goes again to Yahweh and meets with him again. And says essentially the same thing. They want me to go curse Israel can I go? It's kind of, if you read between the lines, what he wants to do. Go back through and read Numbers 22 and 23 especially, maybe even 24 for this whole story. Uh, tonight, if you, if you uh, are looking for some reading material, it's a really interesting story. So he goes and he communes with God. Can I go curse Israel? God says, if you're going to go, <laughs> go ahead and go. But you can only say what I'm going to tell you to say. So Balaam goes. That's what he wanted to do anyhow. He goes. I'm assuming he takes the money, uh, leaves it at the house, goes with the princess back to back to uh, Moab, and he looks out and he sees Israel's army. Can you advance the slide for me? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, technical difficulties. It's always fun. So he says, uh, "We're gonna go, and we're going I'll, I'll go do. I'll go say whatever God says for me to say to to the nation of Israel." And so, Balak says, "Perfect, that'll be just fine." The very first thing that he says when he gets on the scene, he looks out across Israel. There's a portion of them. It's not all of Israel, but it's a portion of them. And he he says what Joe read for us this evening, uh, and if you were you're in Numbers chapter 23, let's read it again and, and you've got a little context now so it'll start making sense for you. But here's God's prophet who came to this mountain to curse Israel, but look what he does. From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me and denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. He's identifying himself with Israel, isn't he? He's saying they're so awesome. I want to be like them. Let me die like they die. He is not cursing Israel, but is blessing them. And that's just the first one. He's going to do this two more times, and the blessings just get more and more impressive as he walks through the next day or so. What's so interesting, and I'll tell you the end of the story before we before we stop tonight, but on his way back up a few miles, maybe a few hundred miles, and walk on this journey with Balaam from Aram to Moab. So what's happening? He gets on his donkey. We don't even know the donkey's name, but it's about to say some words. So he gets on his donkey and he starts riding. And I'm assuming that the princes are following either in front of or behind him. But at some point along this road, an angel of the Lord stops in the middle of the path and the donkey sees it. Balaam does not see it. Only the donkey can see it. And so the donkey sees it, and in an effort to save his master, swerves out into a field, I'm assuming, and walks around the angel. And so this happens again. On down the road, the angel appears to the donkey. Again, Balaam still can't see the donkey. (laughs) He can see the donkey, I suppose. He can't see the angel. And so the donkey notices the angel standing there in the path. And he again circumvents the angel. It happens again. This time there's nowhere for the donkey to go. He's in a narrow passageway, and the angel is in front of him. He can't turn around. He can't go to either side, And so he just sits down. Balaam starts beating the donkey with a rod. He's, he's done this uh, several times as he's circumvented the, the angel of the Lord. But this time he's really going to let him have it. And then the donkey turns around, and he says, why are you beating me? And the funniest thing, the craziest thing about this story of the talking donkey... To me, is that Balaam answers the donkey? <laughs> I think I would have said, Wait, what? He doesn't do that. I don't know if he did that and we're just not re- his reaction is just not recorded for us, but he doesn't do that. He tells him why he's beating him. You've been, uh, uh, you've not obeyed me. You're, you're taking me uh, out of my way and now you're not even, you're not even carrying me where I want to go. You're a bad donkey. And he says, The donkey uses great logic. He says, look back on my history, look back on my work history and see, haven't I been a good donkey? Haven't I carried you everywhere you've wanted to go? Haven't I carried the loads? and I've done the right thing all this time. He says, and the logic is kind of, why, am I changed? why has my behavior changed now? And that's when uh, God opens up Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord and is, all of a sudden realizes very quickly that his donkey has saved him. The one that he's been beating has saved him. ...saved his life. So what can we learn from this story? Well, I think one of the things we can learn from this story... ...there's him beating the donkey... ...is that God wants to use you. God wants to use us. As his people, God wants to use us. Flip back over to Luke 19. If God can use a donkey to accomplish his will... ...surely goodness he can use his people, right? If he can use a donkey to accomplish his will... He can use and will use and has used and is using his people right now. Look what's going on in Luke chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 40. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is riding through Jerusalem. This is his triumphal in, uh, entry into Jerusalem. People are the masses, this massive crowd are standing on either side of the road and as you walk into Jerusalem, he's riding on a colt. Um, and people are throwing down palm fronds. And so he doesn't even have to, the donkey, the colt doesn't even have to walk on the ground. They're walking on palm fronds, and they're singing messianic songs to Jesus. They are recognizing that he is the Messiah. This thing that he's been waiting on for so long for Israel's hearts to turn toward him has finally happened on this day, and three days from now he's going to die. The will of the crowd's going to turn very quickly against him when it was for him just three days earlier. Another story for another another day. But what's so interesting here is in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, the Pharisees say, Hey, Jesus, you need to tell your, your disciples if you're here to stop talking like that because what they're saying is wrong. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 40. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So Jesus is under the impression that if he told the disciples to stop the rocks around him would start singing his praises. How amazing would that have been, right? A part of me just wants him to tell the disciples to sh- for a second while the rocks crowd and worship to him. But if he can use a donkey and if he can use rocks to accomplish his will, you better believe he can use you, right? We've got to get ourselves ready, though. You remember, gentlemen, on your first date with uh, your now wife, how you waited there awkwardly in the living room with her dad and just kind of sat and stared at each other for a bit? You remember that? Um, My father-in-law and mother-in-law were here this weekend, so I remember that event. And so you took a while, right? What about when you were waiting on her to walk down the aisle? She had been getting ready, right? Ladies some of you maybe you, you don't remember that because guys are just like, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's how we roll out of bed, ready to go. But it was worth the wait, right? She was, she was the, 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 all the whole process of getting ready and all those things were worth the wait. We've got to get ourselves ready to be used by Jesus. Here's some things that we need to do get ourselves ready flip over to Matthew chapter 22 Matthew 22 verses 34 through 37 a lawyer a Pharisee comes to Jesus and he has a question he's got a great question apparently this guy is a legitimate guy he's got a burgeoning faith he's kind of on the verge of faith um, and he's got a great question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And so listen to what Jesus says to him. And he says, what, what's the great commandment in the law? Excuse me, he's, he's still got a great question. But the, the question is, what do I, what, what's the greatest commandment in the law? In verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I need to be completely, 100% committed to Jesus and his cause and his kingdom if I'm going to be ready to be used by him. He can't use half-hearted, lukewarm, lackadaisical, lazy Christians. That's not who he uses. He passes right over those folks and he finds someone who's on fire and dedicated for him. That's you, right? That's you, the Sunday night crowd who's here every Sunday night, who want to learn more about Christ. He wants to use you, and you're getting ready to be used by Him because you love Him with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? That's the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy. The Israelites have been saying it for thousands of years. This is their rallying cry. Love God with everything you've got and then teach your children to love Him with everything they've got and subsequent generations on down the line to love Him with everything they have. We have to be 100% committed to Him if He's going to use us. He doesn't use lukewarm, half-hearted Christians. He passes right over them and goes and finds somebody who is completely dedicated and that's who he uses to do the amazing things in his kingdom. Those are the people that make traction as we try to lo- call back a lost uh, world to him. Second thing, flip over a couple of chapters to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, in the midst of <clears throat> one of Jesus' parables, uh, he teaches us an incredible lesson here about being used by God. Matthew chapter 25, you're familiar with this parable, I'm sure it's the parable of the talents. It starts there in verse 14, but let me consolidate it for you a little bit. Um, A master goes on a long journey, he's got three servants, he looks at one, he says, I'll give you five talents. Talent is not like we would think of it, these guys couldn't sing or whatever, it's not like they were good at something, although I'm sure they were good at something, but a talent is a measurement of money, so he gives these guys a check. This first one he gives five talents to, he gives a large fortune. This is not a small fortune, this is like Bill Gates fortune. He gives this guy a fortune of money. And he says, I'll be back. And he gives uh, the, he goes over to the next servant, he gives him two talents. Again, pretty good sized fortune. And then he goes to the last servant and gives him a small fortune, a one-talent check. And he says, be faithful. I'll come back. When I come back, we'll settle accounts. So, he's gone, and they don't know for how long, right? This it's a it's a parable about Jesus's return. One day he's coming back, we had better have been faithful during this this time period. But what I'm after is what these three guys do while he's away, right? The five talent man puts his money to work, and he when the master comes back is able to give the master 10 talents. He's doubled the sum. The two-talent man has done the same thing. He doubles his sum. But remember what happened with the one-talent man? He, he just went and hit it, right? He didn't even put it in the bank. If he'd have put it in the bank, it could have gained interest. He doesn't even do that. And so his logic is, I know that you're a hard man, and so I didn't want to lose what you had given me, so I went and hit it. Jesus' answer in the story is, You should have put it in the bank. Then at least it would have gained interest, right? He didn't even do that. So it's not that he's afraid. It's that he's lazy. We can't be lazy. God can't use lazy Christians. We are people who are organized. We are people who are willing to put in the work to do hard things. I know that's you. I've seen so many of you work so hard over the past several years. I know that's you. God uses productive, hardworking people. He can't use lazy people. It's not how he functions. You go back through and you, you look at the life of Paul, for example. Yeah, how, many, how many hours a night you think Paul slept? We don't, we don't know the answer to that. We're not privy to the answer to that. I can't imagine it was much. What do you think about the rest of the apostles? These guys are hard workers. You find a lot of the disciples. Timothy, right? Uh, he has a disorder. Something's wrong with him physically because of how much stress and how hard he's worked for the kingdom. Right? When we get to that point, we can know, okay, I've still got a little bit more work to do. (laughs) Right? We are people who literally work ourselves to the bone for the kingdom of God. That's what he's called us to do. We can't use lazy Christians. But fortunately, we're not. We're not lazy like this one talent guy. Flip over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. verse 7 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 Paul has this really beautiful analogy here that you just need to see back up to verse 1 we got a bit of time so let, let's just let's get some context here 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 he says therefore having this ministry by the grace by the mercy of God we do not lose heart but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Speaking to the Corinthians. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That thought, that it's our responsibility to reach out to people, to show them the light out of darkness, he says in verse 7, is a treasure that's been put in jars of clay. We're jars of clay, right? That—that's his analogy. You and I, he and the Corinthian church, were the jars of clay that he's speaking about there. And he says this mystery has been given to us, and we're in such a feeble position. You ever broken a, a plate or a cup or anything like a glass one? When Kelly and I first got married, we had uh, uh, bridal showers, right? And we had on one of our registries, we had a, um, uh, a box of cups, uh, glass cups, like drinking cups that go on your table, nice ones. And there was 15 of them. I think we got three boxes of those things. And I broke every single one of them over the next 12, or 13 years. Didn't take long. I broke like 60 cups. And I don't think she broke a single one of them. I broke one after another after another. And Sometimes they would would just fall. Sometimes they would fall in the sink. Sometimes they'd break the dishwasher or whatever. Broke every single one of them. You know why? Because they're easily breakable. Some of you guys, I really want to ask y'all to raise your hands. But I bet you guys, some of you men are in the same boat with me breaking those cups. It may have been a year or two for some of y'all. I hadn't done it in a while. But I bet you're in the same boat with me. So you understand what I'm talking about. These things are incredibly fragile right he says that's the exact same thing it's true with you you're we're incredibly fragile how often do we fall how often do we sin how often do we rebel against them knowingly rebel against them right he says we're so frail but this mystery this amazing mystery has been encased in us the power is not in us. If we want to be used by God, he wants to use us. But if we want to be used by him, one of the things that we have to recognize is the power is not in us. We're simply jars of clay. The power is in him. The power is in him. Let me illustrate you. Let me illustrate this with 2 Corinthians 12. Flip over to the, toward the end of the book of 2 Corinthians. Look in verse, uh, verse 1. Paul's going to talk about a guy here. I don't know who the guy is. My uh, guess is it's Paul himself. That's been transported up into the third heaven. He, he's seen some things, uh, but Paul is too humble to say it's me. He just says, I know a man, uh, but I, I think it's Paul. But listen to what where he goes after that. Starting in verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting... Though there was nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ for four, who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven, whether in the body or the, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, who's who's got the power? The power's in him. My power is made perfect in weakness. Whose weakness? Paul's, ours. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, I know I'm weak. When we know we're weak and that He is strong, that the power for transformation, the power for goodness, the power to stay away from sin, all the power comes not from us. Don't get distracted in that theology because the power is not in us. The power is in Him. But when I start thinking the power is in Him, that's when He can use me. Because if I'm so proud and prideful and thinking that I have some power... He can't use me. He won't use me. He'll go find somebody who knows that the power is inside of him. Because he can do all things. Right? That's what Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? He's not talking about a sport there. Sometimes we co-opt that verse and misuse it for our own purposes. Right? And to our own detriment, honestly. But that verse is not talking about a physical thing. He's talking about a spiritual thing. Paul can accept all losses. He can accept all grief. He can accept all the insults and injuries hurled at him because Christ gives him the strength. He can accept all the fear, all the hatred, everything, because Christ gives him the strength. When we get to that point, God is ready to use us. So we got to get there. We got some preparing to do, right? And even though I know that a lot of us, a lot of us are there, we've got some moving to do still, right? You never achieve. You never get here and can just stay comfortable and 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 just stay right here. You have to constantly be moving uh, down the road. Let me tell you how the story of Balaam ends, and the lesson will be yours. Balaam gets to. Israel, uh, he has seven altars set up at, the, at each one of them. He's going to do the curse thing. He's going to try to do the curse thing three times. And at each site, it's three different sites. It's each, at each site, he's going to have seven altars set up. And on each altar, he's going to have seven rams and seven bulls sacrificed uh, to Yahweh in an effort to buy off the God of the universe so that he'll curse his people. Guess what happens? Balaam just continually blesses them. Each blessing just gets more and more fantastic. Just more and more big. And finally, by the end, Balak said, well, you've given them the kingdom. Like, what else could... I brought you in here to curse them, and now you've you bless them upon blessing upon blessing, and there's nothing like you've given them the entire world. And so... Uh, there's nothing left to give them. This, if you've still got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 12, I want to point you back to a word in verse 7. Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He's going to use that word surpassing a couple times in the New Testament. It's the word we get our word hyperbole from. He's used it Previously, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That word surpassing is where we get our word hyperbole from. You literally cannot exaggerate God's power. You can't oversell it. Has someone ever oversold something to you? Maybe a friend's. Humor or a speaker's ability or a book or something like that. We've all been oversold something. You've seen the actual product and thought, I got grifted. You know, this, this, is, this is not quite there. You can't do that with God's power. It is unimaginable. And He wants to work through the church, but the church has got to be ready for it. He refuses to work through lazy, unproductive, people he refuses to work through people who think that the power comes from them he won't do it but if we're ready i can do all things through christ who strengthens me if we're ready he can do some truly incredible things through us that's the lesson that we can learn from a donkey god wants to use us and we better be ready to be used by him because you can't oversell his power Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, the thing that you need to understand is that you're still lost in your sins and he is longing to use that power to pull you out of darkness and transform you into the image of his dear son. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you just need prayers from this congregation to be like him, to be like Christ, to walk in that way, to not be proud, to not... Be lazy to do all these things that he wants us to do. If you have any need tonight, why won't you come as we stand and sing?
1: Hosanna, Hosanna To the Lamb that was slain Hosanna, Hosanna Jesus died and rose again Into the river I will wade There my sins are washed away the heaven's mercy stream of the Savior's love for me. Hosanna, Hosanna, you the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus died. Once again, I will rise from waters deep into the saving arms of God. I will sing salvation songs. Jesus Christ has set me free. Oh, Santa. Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus died and rose again.
4: Good evening. Just a few announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, this Wednesday at 5:30, there'll be a Stepping Stones dinner, and smoked pork is on the menu. This Saturday, October the 8th, will be the uh, Brotherhood Wide Door Knocking. That'll take place here in the community, hoping to um, put out 500. Um, uh, I guess door, um, whatever you call those. Thank you, door hangers. Thank you, door hangers. So, we'll meet at the building at 10 a.m. if you're interested in doing that. And if you have any questions, see Chris or Marvin with that. Also, um, in a couple weeks, on October the 15th, the youth will be traveling to the Milton Corn Maze and uh, they'll be meeting at the building at 1 p.m. Also, I mentioned this morning, if you haven't done so, the directories are available out in the foyer, so you can pick one of those up on your way out this evening. As far as the prayer list, continue to pray for Amber Steiser, who has breast cancer. Jennifer Baker, who is recovering from her uh, surgery, and Gary uh, Leap's brother, Terry, who has cancer. Uh, also, just a reminder to pick up a Rome journal on the, the way out this evening, if you haven't done so. It has a complete list of all of the upcoming activities that will be taking place in October, as well as all of those on the prayer list, as well as the list of shut-ins. So let's remember those individuals this week. And if you haven't had the opportunity to uh, take the Lord's Supper, you could do so at this time through the, uh, this door in the conference room, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
0: Last song tonight is number 971. If you are in Life Group 3, that's me and Dickie, uh, we are going to meet on October 30th that evening after Church Eat Church, so mark that on your calendars don't schedule anything it'll be sometime that night and we'll let you know more later but mark that date 971
1: restore my spirit lord i need restored my heart is weary please help me dear lord I stand in need of more strength from your word. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, oh restore my soul, revive the fire, Lord, deep in my soul, stir my desire to work in your fold. Light in my heart, dear God, your zeal grown cold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, oh restore my soul. Renew my courage, Lord, it needs restored. My cup is empty, refill it, dear Lord. Replace all doubts and fear with faith so bold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, oh, restore my soul.
5: That with me, Father. We uh, thank you for this time that we've had today to uh, together here, Father, and, and sing songs of praises to you, and and hear another word, Father. And and we also were thankful that uh, we've able we was able to be here this morning, Father, and, and to surround the table. Uh, and and pass the trays and and father just have more time to focus on you and and uh, hopefully that uh, we can do that father and stay that way and we're thankful for all that you do for us and for all of our blessings and we're mindful for those uh, who've been mentioned here today we have so many father that uh, battling cancer and, and and heart problems and just whatever type of sickness, we just pray that, uh, that you will bless them, Father, and, and be with those who are caring for them. And we pray that you'll be with our shut ins and bless them and watch over them. And, and Father, as we get our uh, life groups uh, back together again, we pray that we can get some uh, good work and good things done, Father, from these groups and pray that you'll bless us there. Be with us throughout the week. Help us, Father, to always be an example to others. Forgive us when we fall short. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.